Hello, I'm Aidan Gallagher. I'm Peter Reeves. Welcome to API, our integration podcast. The purpose of this podcast is to set the world to rights on various topics in the world of enterprise integration, and it scratches our collective itches as engineers who just want to uh, rant about enterprise IT over a cup of coffee. Or tea. Hello, Peter. Hello, Aidan. How are you? I'm okay. How are you? Very good, thank you. Uh, looking forward to the new series. Here we go, new series. New series, how exciting. What? Yeah. What is the series? What are we doing? This series, we're doing podcasts all around changing IT design as we move to the cloud. How how moving things to the cloud, how it affects our infrastructure, our processes, all sorts of different things. We've got, I think we've got six episodes planned on how environments, how applications methods of administration, documentation, and DevOps, and just one roundup episode where we'll talk about all the things that, as we go through this series, we realised we uh, should have written ahead of time. And it was based on the fact that we've seen originally a a slow progression of of some of these concepts in our day-to-day work life. Mm -hmm. But definitely on the projects I've been on, it's sort of exploded in in the last few years. In fact, the last 12 months, it's gone insane. Uh, everybody's on cloud and everyone is having to abide by this more formulated IT design types. I think I think I'd agree with you. Um, would I say 12 months? Maybe because I know you've done lots of little bitty projects and I've done a couple of year-long projects. I would say maybe, yeah, two to three years, perhaps, but just because just because you get out more, <laughs> you get out more from a from a career point of view i think I think it's just that everybody literally everybody is doing it now, whereas before it was like the forward thinking progressive types who who um were saw an opportunity and were like yes we we're, we're we're ready, we're gonna do it and to varying degrees of success, but yeah, the last twelve months it's like every single organization is now focusing on this change in IT landscape and specifically how that applies to cloud. Yeah, exactly. If you're familiar with the adoption curve, aren't you? Um, the peak, uh, oh, so is it the, the, the peak of tranquility, the, what is it called? Is it the peak of tranquility? I'm not sure. I didn't know the peak had a name. I thought it was just, there were like the, the innovators and the adopters and the forward thinkers and the, the last people were the laggards, uh, the, the dullards, got, or whatever they're called. There's a name for like the curves. It's like the trough of um, disillusion or some disillusionment or something like that as well. Oh, that's that's the that's the hype cycle. Is that the hype that cycle? Is, that's the hype cycle. We're talking about the um, uh, mixed metaphors. Te- I'm I'm looking at the technology adoption life cycle page on Wikipedia. Oh. Right. So, what are we talking about today, Peter? Changing IT design. So today we are talking about how environments have been affected by the ubiquity of cloud provisioning. Where ubiquity means for the for the non-native speakers? How environments have been affected uh, by the fact that basically everyone's doing it now. Yes. So compare that to uh, in the olden days when everything was on-premises and everything was on some bare metal box that probably was, all, probably was administered by someone in your organisation. You could just walk to their desk and talk to them. I feel like the key most important thing about moving to cloud is it is now easier than ever to provision an environment through container deployments or through serverless or provisioning vm as a service so you don't have to go to a person in your organization necessarily you potentially could just log on to your cloud account click a button 
and you've got container ready for deployment. You've got your Java VM ready for ready for your latest application. Would you say it's been democratized? I would, yeah. Power has been given to the people. Anyone can just deploy a deploy a new environment. Access to environments has been uh, made so much more streamlined and accessible. Yeah, and with that, I think the fact that you can click the same service again and again for, for five different environments, for example, means that more than ever, you've got consistency of your, of your environments across the software development lifecycle. Do, do, do you want to dig more into ease of provisioning or do you want to dig more into standardization of environments? Or do you want to dig into both? Let's do both. Let's, but let's, let, yeah. What, when we talk about standardization of environments, what are we really talking about there? I think we're probably talking about, well, again, going back to how uh, the cloud, your cloud environment probably isn't some guy in your organization that you can just walk around to a desk. Uh, it's all done by online interfaces and maybe APIs, maybe just a, uh, maybe a shiny GUI front end. But what it means is that you can request a specific uniform build of your environment and if you want another one you can get exactly the same and because all these cloud cloud providers cloud hyperscalers because all these guys all their environment and stuff is built on reams and reams of automation you know that all of your environments that you get from them are completely uniform which means suddenly it's become very very easy to get standardization of environments. Go back to the olden days and on-prem land, I can think of many times when it would be the case that production looks different to non-production, or it's got some slightly different thing underneath it, or production, the only one with physical kit underneath it, the rest is all virtual, or someone did something wrong in test once upon a time, and that means it has a slightly different build because we broke it, we can't afford to replace it, that kind of thing. You don't really have any of that when you're using a cloud provision or a cloud hyperscaler. And so you get this, you can you can quite easily get this standardization at all levels of the stack. And and, and, and and we mean kind of like all levels because because cloud providers will provide all that for you. So, so your network, your operating system, any kind of provisioned hardware or container images, basically everything apart from your, your business or organization specific bits and pieces, your code, your applications, might might as well be off the shelf. Yeah, so that isn't to say that individual organizations haven't had to come up with templates, for example. Uh, we're not necessarily saying there that everything's out of the box, you just click a button and you've got a standardized, perfect for your organization system prepared. I think mm-hmm. the important thing to note there is that there is some forework having to be done by organizations. And typically we see these in centers of excellence, for example, where they will have looked at the cloud provider they would have looked at what works and and what use cases best meets the majority of the needs of the the organization and then Mm -hmm. create standardized templates of say terraform for example to build an environment at which point that becomes the standard way for all the application teams to build their own like you say we're democratizing the individual teams to be able to go and build these environments themselves and it is standardization across all the layers um it is being done within the framework of the organization and following good practice across each of the different aspects, whether that's network, OS, layer, security, mm-hmm. and individual teams have that ability to build environments themselves without having to go and request a team to to build that environment for them and having to wait 12 months for them to be available or the right resources to come forward. Yeah, and, and while you're saying... Um 
the fact that people could just do things, that it, it also means that we should highlight there's a, a much lower barrier to entry for like a typical cloud environment. Literally all you need to get going is usually a credit card. And that's why you get all this. I think that's probably thought of why there's such a rich kind of startup scene now, because it's very easy for someone to get started with their own kind of hobbyist, um, like indie hackers type project, which I think is very nice. I think there's a lot of abstraction there, isn't there? Um, and that abstraction means that even the resources in the pool of resources that are available just need to understand what those abstracted tools are. And that's a lower barrier to entry, like you've just said. So if I'm looking for somebody who's who can do Terraform, that's a lot easier than trying to find somebody within my organization who understands these specific scripts I built that allow me to build the environment. Yeah, so the, the resources are easier to find because there are you know there's hundreds of people who have built Terraform because generally organizations are using the same tools or uh, an elite top ten number of tools that are available on the market. Yeah, the whole the whole center event excellence and the whole um, fact that the, that a cloud is a bag of bits off the shelf means that it becomes very easy to see consistency across organizations and yeah, that sharing of skills across organizations. That's so I think I cut you off there a minute um, ago, Peter. You started to talk, you started to talk about um, being able to get going with a project, or I think you were alluding to the, to the ability to these these of starting a project. Yeah, we were just about to talk about how ephemeral and easy to start up a cloud environment is, and so that means that um, I, don't, I don't know about you, but I've I've seen a, a noticeable change in the way that projects, and particularly projects that run, particularly projects are instantiated, um, because now I see that the typical kind of new project, new initiative flow will be starting from a proof of concept into that, that grows into an MVP and that might grow into kind of your your production type topology with maybe pre-prods and, and low environments uh, you, you're not starting from a you're not starting from a okay well first off let's let's order all the kit for our prod and our pre-prod and our sit and our test and our dev or something like that because it's so easy to just plop down an environment there is um, much more flexibility and you can run it's much easier for people to run a little proof of concept that can either grow or it can die organizations now suddenly have a lot more freedom to basically throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks they can try out their ideas and then get rid of the ones that don't work and then go with the ones that they do see a, a, a return on and and so they get that nice level of flexibility and, um, and and the ease of provisioning a cloud environment as we said it's just normally clicks in a GUI or it can be once you've done that upfront work it can be uh, the execution of a script that enables people to try things out and throw things away very quickly which becomes very powerful and I think that's really important, isn't it? The the ability to say, I want to try lots of different things and see what and see whether it works. Especially if you're in a competitive market, like retail, for example. Uh, there's a lot of retailers at the minute who are creating platforms for lots of different retailers to to join collectively as a way of establishing a, a better sales marketplace if you think amazon for example has pretty much everything. people love building marketplaces people are building marketplaces exactly the only way you know that works if you do that initial investment and it's a lot easier to say 
why don't we three companies put a little bit of money in each, do a little proof of concept. If it doesn't work, not much loss. Rather than saying we're going to build a humongous project that's going to go straight away to production, we're going to think, figure out every single little aspect of it, and then for it to fail six months down the line and you know you've spent millions of pounds. So I think the cloud provisioning means that that actually you can you can throw these together these concepts together relatively quickly using templates using um the limited time i don't know container deployments for example that subscription model that makes it so easy to deploy and then look at look at productionizing it if and when it's successful the other thing when you said about poc mvp and then production there's (laughs) i've started to find that in some of the customers i've been talking to or some of the some of the projects that I've come into a little bit later to help solve issues. They've gone very rapidly from MVP to production. And it's almost like MVP is production. It's like, yes, this 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 satisfies our minimum viable product. Therefore, this is now our first instance of production. <laughs> and I always find that such a, a weird concept that just because you're doing things in an agile way or you're doing it in the cloud, that all of a sudden something that was minimum viable is now your first iteration of production um, without sort of those steps to productionize and make sure that that environment is safe. So I think if we're looking at it from an environment's perspective, I don't think you can just say, well, MVP, that's just my first iteration of production because there's so many things that you might have sidestepped or not considered that need to be considered before you can really go into production with, with a specific system. And say you're using customer data, et cetera, you've obviously got to be very careful with that um, because you don't want your your new fledgling amazing uh, system to fall at the first hurdle because you've lost you've lost reams of sensitive customer data. I, f- I feel I feel really torn on how to respond to that. I think I think you've taken the probably the sen- the the sensible and the correct approach there, but whenever whenever I whenever I read any kind of like founders blogs or like things about startup companies and stuff. Uh, some of the wisdom that I always read is that uh, if you aren't slightly embarrassed by your first release, then 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 you've released too late. You've spent too much time fannying around and worrying about things that shouldn't really matter. So I suppose that's just uh, maybe that's that's probably one for a late, for one of our later episodes around sort of attitudes to development. But... And I think probably the important bit to consider and the important thing to discuss is. Uh, what is what is the minimum you need to be able to do? What's the minimum steps you need to take from MVP to actually get to your first production iteration? Because it obviously doesn't have to be everything. You don't have to have a fully managed monitoring system. You don't have to have an alert system for every security event that ever pops up within your first iteration of production if you're doing an agile deployment, obviously. But I think there is some steps that goes from MVP to production which you need to think about. So sometimes it's as simple as sizing. I've seen MVPs that have gone into production and then it starts getting some real payload through. It suddenly slows down and stops working. And it's like, this product's rubbish. I said, no, you've not thought about your sizing. But I think all of this aligns really to the fact that the pace of change in organizations has accelerated and that's to do mm-hmm. with things like greenfield companies coming out and disrupting markets you know every, everything's a disruptor these days quickly get on this disruptor hype cloud provisioning is a major force multiplier because lots of barriers are removed you don't have to be a big company that owns your own data center to get going and it's like we were saying if, if it fails you've you've lost less than if you spent a year building this massive massive system 
yeah, the penalties are are much less severe of, of of failing in the cloud. You lose all you lose are, are your sunk costs, and you just turn everything off and you stop. Yeah, exactly. Tomorrow. And you don't then get you know you don't you know the CEO doesn't have the board questioning them in a few months time. Well, what, why haven't we done this? Oh, we did try this actually. It's 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 not viable. It, we didn't think it'd make it wouldn't make us money, and we tested it out. We had some proof points, and we know it's not going to work. That is obviously a better story to tell shareholders than we are a dinosaur. We don't move. We don't change. We don't. <laughs> we don't implement anything ever. Um, you know, showing that progress to not only investors but like customers as well to say we understand your needs. We're trying it out. Maybe it does work. Maybe it doesn't. A bit like Twitter with the edit button. <laughs> <laughs> is that real? Does that happen? I thought that was an April Fool's thing. No, I, no, I don't know. I think, yeah, actually, maybe I'm still touching on the point we just made about the fact that the penalties are less severe, it's easier to fail. Um, The fact that, other than production, most environments are, I would say that quite a lot of environments are idle quite a lot of the time, probably outside their court hours. The fact that environments can be ephemeral, that you you can just spin them up if you need an extra test environment, if you need an extra dev environment. You don't have the overhead of things running through the night or things running when you don't need them and yeah maybe at the end of the month when you get your bill you might not have saved shed loads you probably saved a bit i think but i still think that that comes across as a very clean way of doing things uh, when you're not sort of leaving environments around running for all time when you can just have things uh, that get kicked off as processes, and that's why I kind of wanted to talk about and just mention the fact that cloud provisioning enables ephemeral throwaway environments. I think you're definitely right. Um, that yes, ephemeral environments. Um, but yeah. uh, no, I, I mean, like cloud provision allows us to um, handle and deal with ephemeral environments better. There are a lot of times when environments aren't being used, say. What typically happens in a lot of places over Christmas, for example, is there's a change freeze and nothing can change in that time. What's the point of running your test environments for two weeks if you're not going to have anyone working on anything? Um, you got not not working on anything. Obviously, changes go in; they just don't go into production during a change freeze. If you're out over Christmas, for example, you could tear down some of those resources. Uh, I know that during Black Friday, for example, some retailers get absolutely hammered with requests now. If you can, if you can reduce the load in your other environments, potentially you can use that same resources to increase production during those peak times. It's having those environments that are easily scalable and easily manageable to make them smaller, bigger, turn them off, etc. That I think's uh, really useful and and something that has changed over time with with the introduction of 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 cloud. Now you could have done that in VMs in the old days or or on your traditional on-premise deployment, you still can. There's, I, to be honest, a lot of the things that we're talking about now, we're talking about cloud. I think you can do these on-premise as well. It's just that... If you're willing to invest the time, yes. Uh, well, I think a lot of the legacy applications that are deployed on-premise, they are the way they are because of they are legacy systems and there's no cost incentive to update them. I think you could probably achieve a lot of what you can achieve on cloud on-premise if you did it today. But there's not really a lot of will to spend the money and time updating the on-premise. And it's too tied in with what the legacy systems that already exist. I don't know, it creates a barrier, I suppose, to being able to do it on-premise in an easy way that actually hits those benefits. 
I, ha I have tried to do that. I, a complete aside, I did try and work out if there's a way that I could make sort of uh, my on-premise kit follow those kind of um, uh, declarative config scripted deployment type things that cloud things do. And I, uh, I never got past working out a way to um, programmatically change the operating system on hardware. Yeah, I imagine that you probably can do it, but it's just a lot of effort and... Um, I'm sure there's limit there's limitations some limitations as well yeah but I think generally a lot of a lot of what we're talking about could be done so you could turn off a VM for example and repurpose it for uh, as an additional production instance it possibly isn't as easy and you're not getting that collaborative cost that you get with a cloud so everybody's pitching in and paying for the entire data center essentially aren't you that's how you're limiting your overall cost because you're all sort of pooling resources up. Mm -hmm. but yeah i agree ephemeral environments definitely uh part of a change in it landscape and definitely something that businesses are working more um towards introducing the question i suppose is how often do you actually decrease the size of a specific environment in order to increase another and i think possibly not that often and outside of core hours a lot of activity still takes place so a lot of upgrades take place in in outside of core hours and that's a risk aversion thing not because we can't do it in a lot of cloud environments the upgrade can happen under the covers um whilst you're processing your production workloads but you choose not to do that because of the risk i think there is ephemeral environments but there is some caveats to that within that changing landscape that, that obviously you need to think about and go a bit beyond the the marketing that ties in with well how many environments should we have and i think this the, the perception of that's changing as well have you noticed that you feel there's fewer yeah definitely yeah i feel that yeah i'm again back in the olden days it always used to be like prod pre-prod sit or maybe you had separate and a separate nft or a separate uat and then dev and then test and then maybe a sand pit or something like that and then in the bigger organizations you found that some teams were blocking SIT, so you created SIT 2 and SIT 3 yeah. and SIT 4. You have test 1 and test 2, and yeah, and all, all that's exactly what we, what we get at. But now I feel that... I feel that the, the coolest kids only have staging and production. And their local have dev you seen environments. That? Yeah, and their local dev environment. Would you say that more environments is a bad thing, then? I think it's probably more cognitive load... It's more things to think about, more things to be um, to, to to care about and worry about and to pay for. Does that not mean your staging environment needs to be able to do more things though? Yeah, but given that your staging or your pre-prod should be as close to production as possible, I, I don't think that's a terrible request. I think, yeah, it goes back to how throwaway environments can kind of enable this powerful setup where you have like a throwaway environment that's maybe built as part of a part of a DevOps process that does like unit test and maybe non-functional testing and integration testing, possibly even user testing, um, and then tears itself down. Th these aren't formal environments. In instead, you kind of depend and rely more on your testing as part of pipelines and DevOps type things. I think it depends massively on whether you can have your development environment or your stage environment exactly like production and whether you need to integrate with lots of other systems. If you have, like we were saying earlier, we've, teams have a decentralized way to own their own environments. Now, if you shared that environment with lots of other teams, you obviously need that system integration test because you need to see how the, you each need to development in your own 
compartments and then you need to bring those together then you need to see how it performs when they're all together and obviously your non-functional testing needs to be uh, needs to be hammered on a, an environment that isn't going to affect the other system integration so i can see why those environments the more environments has um is is there i can see why there are so many environments and i don't ne think it's necessarily a bad thing when that's the style of integration you're doing or the style of workload that you have whereas if you have 20 applications in your organizations and none of them really impact each other you know they might call each other but they're not in they're not system integrated they just call each other as part of their flows and you know maybe that's fine that maybe they see them as external services then you could go dev straight to production and i think that worked the etsy model is one of those where teams own their own code in production now if that's your model that you have going dev straight to production makes sense doesn't it because you know that whatever yeah. you push into staging or dev has to work in production because you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna manage it and we've talked about this before you're probably more risk averse early on if you're supporting that production system yeah you're i think i think the last thing to say is that um if you're treating dev like production and your path to production is much quicker much smoother much fewer steps on it do you think that kind of incentivizes people to create better better code and better applications before pushing into the environment i think it can um yeah i definitely think it can and i think it does when you are when you do own your own production environment i think the bit where we need to be careful of saying no you shouldn't you should only have two or three environments is that the environments that we've grown to know and love sit nft uat production blah 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 the reason why they have so many is because they serve a purpose in the organizations that they are in cloud eases that journey a little so you can if you can provision an nft environment easily and if you can decentralize your deployments if you can decouple them obviously your environments are going to be much um, better equipped to to handle change and handle the integration and handle the the cross integration testing um but i don't think necessarily in all places you're going to end up with less environments you may end up with the same number and i don't think that's necessarily a bad thing but it's interesting how how the the entire setup of environments and how many environments there are the conversation is changing and uh, as we move into cloud-based um it landscape i think that's most of what we wanted to discuss today wasn't it in terms of uh, environments yeah that was all that we had prepared <laughs> uh, yeah so what we've talked about is the fact that environments are ephemeral it's easier than ever to provision your environments um, we talked about standardization of those environments and how easy how it's become a lot easier to standardize how the deployment works and we may use a center of excellence to create those templates that allows individual teams to have those the ability to um, basically manage their own lives and succeed on their own mm -hmm. we've talked about the introduction or or the uh, pocs and mvps to quickly find out if something's going to work before taking mm -hmm. it into production and some of the drawbacks of that and some of the considerations to have and then we talked about the number of environments that we see these days and how we see have we've been seeing them uh, reduce or well, we've seen a, an inclination to reduce in the number of environments uh, that are required and some of that's cost some of that's complexity if if you our listeners have anything to add to the conversation if you 
uh, I've seen a, a, a sudden change in the way that environments uh, have been working in the IT landscape in the last few years. Get in touch, let us know. Yeah, if you want to tell us that we're wrong, let us know. Yeah, we like being wrong. <laughs> Lovely. That's all for this week. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye. Goodbye. <laughs>